Good morning, everyone. Welcome. It's good to see you here today. It's uh, good to share this beautiful day with the family of God. We welcome everyone this morning, especially our guests. We welcome you and I hope you'll feel very much a part of our family as we worship God this morning. Uh, let me remind everyone of our attendance sheets on each row. We'd like to ask if you would to take those and fill them out so we can have a record of, of your attendance with us. And go ahead and check in on your phone and let people know that you're here this morning. And I um, want to uh, remind you of some opportunities that we have coming up. First of all, our uh, Bible study, The Quest, began this past Thursday, and uh, some of you participated in that. And I'm sure uh, you can still get, all, get in on that. It will be every Thursday uh, uh, for weeks to come. Also, go ahead and put in your um, calendar the church picnic. We are going to be having a church picnic out at Audubon State Park on September the 23rd in a few weeks. And so go ahead and put that on your calendar and we'll look forward to that. And also coming up uh, in October is our Highway 60 yard sale. I know that's uh, just a, a few weeks away, so go ahead and and uh, put that on your calendar. That's on October the 5th and the 6th, a little over a month away. Uh, put it on, on your calendar to help. And, and in the meantime, between now and then, bring your stuff in uh, that you'd like to get rid of, and we'll, we'll put it up for sale. So thank you for that. Uh, it's good to share this time of fellowship and uh, worship with you, and so let us fellowship with one another as we stand and as we greet each other in the name of the Lord.
pray together. Do you want to lead me to Jesus asks. He does not water down His words or change them. Whoever eats my flesh will live forever, He said. People did not understand, and they turned away. Where would we go, Jesus, who has life and words like yours? If, we can create, if you can create a universe from nothing, if you can invent a wheat field, then we can believe that you can come to us as the bread of life. O Holy One of God, come and nourish us. Be with us and sustain us so that we may have the strength that we need to place one foot in front of another in our marathon of life. We recognize that life is not a sprint. We recognize that life is a hard marathon with many obstacles in our way. Some among us are facing obstacles of their, of their own right this very minute. But it is their faith and our faith in you that keeps them hanging strong. Strengthen our faith, O oh God. Be the source of our strength to do things that we honestly don't feel like doing. Be the source of our comfort when comfort is so sorely needed. Be the source of our peace when the storms of life are raging around us. Be the source of life, O oh God. And lead us to worship you because you have, because we have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. And you have the words of eternal life. In your name we pray, O oh God.
thank you for bringing us all together on this beautiful Sunday morning. Please lead us to be the best people we can be in our communities and show people how we serve you. In your name we pray. Amen. said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life and the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
every voice and, and the harmony is so great but I also get to look out here and see the smiles on your faces that was a happy song thank you choir thank you um, when I lived in Atlanta I was a pretty big Braves fan uh, especially during the 1990s when they had a little dynasty thing going on there they were winning a lot of ball games but before that 
there was a long dry spell as far as winning seasons was concerned. Uh, and, and to be honest, they were pretty bad. <laughs> they were pretty miserable. And guess what? During that long dry spell when nobody uh, believed in them and they weren't winning any games, nobody came to their games. I don't know if you can see this. This is a picture of the Atlanta Fulton County Stadium in 1990. You may notice there's a lot of empty seats in that stadium. Well, that's the way it was. But then something happened. They moved Bobby Cox from the front office to become the field manager. They recruited some young gun pitchers that nobody could hit. They had some good batters in the lineup, and all of a sudden they started winning ball games. A lot of them. And guess what happened? People started coming to watch them play. You see this one? A little different, isn't it? This is 1991. In 1990, they were in dead last. They were the very worst team in the league. But then in 1991, they went to the World Series. See how full that stadium was in 1991? What a difference a year makes. When it looked like they might make it to the playoffs during that season, they put the tickets up on up for sale for all of the playoff and all of the playoff and home and uh, World Series games. And I got down to the stadium very early that morning and stood in line for hours. And I got tickets for all of the home playoff games and World Series games. And I got to tell you, it was one of the greatest experiences of my life. What an experience it was. The crowds were electric. The wave was nonstop. You know what? You remember the wave, don't you? Let's do a wave. I've always wanted to do a wave in church. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. See, I could go brag to my preacher friends that we did a wave in church here. <laughs> But this way, the wave was nonstop in the stadium during those playoff games, during the World Series game. The tomahawk chop was persistent. People were yelling and laughing and, and, and smiling. And then, then I looked across and I saw this man waving a sign. And the sign said, I was here when nobody else was. I like that. That reflects the age-old story of fair-weather fans who are there for their team only when the team is winning. And I have to admit that I didn't go to many games back in the 1980s when the Braves were awful. But here was one fan who wanted the world to know that he was there when nobody else was. Well, folks, Jesus knew what it was like to deal with fair-weather friends, friend, uh, fans as well. You see, he began to share the difficult details of his ministry. At the beginning of his ministry, he did a lot of wonderful things, healing and feeding of the 5,000, and people started hearing about him and all of the teaching that he was doing, and they started flocking all around him. But then he started to share some of the difficult 
details of his ministry, some of the hard teachings that he had. He started talking about things that the people didn't understand, and a lot of his followers started to get disenchanted. In our Wednesday night Bible study this past week, we were talking about the difficult passage that comes immediately before this passage. And the reason this pa- the passage we were talking about was so difficult is because it has Jesus very graphically talking about the need for people to eat His flesh and to drink His blood. Yuck. It sounds awful. And of course He was being metaphorical, but that wasn't evident to these first century followers. And C.J. asked a great question that night. He asked if some of his followers started to leave him when he started talking like they needed to become cannibals. And guess what? They did. They left. Just a short time before this, they wanted to crown him as their king. They wanted to push him into the political arena. They wanted him to establish his kingdom here on earth. And they didn't want a kind of a spiritual kumbaya kind of experience. They wanted a rebellion. They didn't want to follow a life of pacifism and peace and grace and mercy. They wanted to kill some Romans. And they weren't in this for the long haul. They wanted it to happen right now. And so one by one, as they sensed that Jesus was not going to give them what they wanted, they left. John tells us, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. So Jesus asked his twelve disciples, You don't want to leave me too, do you? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have come to know and to believe that you are the Holy One of God. Don't you just love Simon Peter? He was often rather impetuous and excitable, and a lot of times if you look into the Gospels, you'll see that he speaks before he thinks. But folks, I want to tell you something. Peter was in it for the long haul. His commitment to Jesus Christ was not a fleeting thing that was dependent upon whether things were going his way or not. He was in it for the long haul. And I'm sure that Peter got discouraged from time to time. After the crucifixion, he was ready to go back to his fishing nets. And we can understand that. I mean... He had invested all of his dreams in this man, Jesus, and now he was dead. And yet still, Peter's ultimate commitment to Jesus Christ never failed. He was in it for the long haul. The reaction of the crowds to some of Jesus' harder teachings reminds us reminds me of a, a certain late-night television personality many years ago when the great missionary Albert Schweitzer was receiving a lot of attention. This TV personality wanted to get on the bandwagon, the Albert Schweitzer bandwagon, and he told his audience that he'd like to be an Albert Schweitzer, too, if he could commute. And you know, I I can appreciate that, because a lot of folks would be willing to go to the mission field 
if they could commute. It's pretty common with anybody who starts off with good intentions. I've watched boys and girls go through our Sunday school program and never become a part of our youth group. And I've seen members of our youth program graduate from high school and, and, and disappear until they've had children of their own. I've watched people bring their children to Sunday school and church and then drift away as, as their children grow up. And I've, I've seen people who have spent 20 or 30 years in church and they have a disagreement with another member or with the pastor and they're never seen again. I've seen pastors who shortly after the honeymoon period is over, they're already looking for greener pastures. What a treasure and what a blessing and what an encouragement are those who are in it for the long haul. You have a very special kind of faith. For you see, life is a marathon. And a marathon is hard. There are a lot of obstacles in the, mar- in the marathon of life. And just because we are Christians, it does not mean that the road is smooth for us. We get cancer. We have heart attacks. We have strokes. We have diabetes and dementia, just like everyone else does. We watch family members suffer and sometimes die. We lose our jobs. We grieve the loss of loved ones. And at times like these, we need a faith for the long haul. I was reading recently about the super successful motivational speaker and author, Tony Robbins. Robbins didn't grow up with a silver spoon in his mouth. Here's how Robbins describes his growing up years. He said, I grew up dirt poor with four different fathers over the years and with a mother who was an alcoholic. Often went to bed hungry, not knowing if there would be anything to eat the next day. We had so little money that I bought t-shirts for 25 cents at the thrift store and went to high school in Levi cords that were four inches too short. To support myself, I worked as a janitor at two banks in the middle of the night. And then I caught a bus home and slept for about four or five hours before dragging myself back to school the next morning. Today, says Robbins, I am blessed with financial success. That's really an understatement because Robbins is super successful in many areas of his life. But listen to this. That kind of success does not happen overnight. And that kind of success does not happen without a great deal of effort. And sometimes it doesn't even doesn't happen for decades. And sometimes it doesn't even happen at all. Because life is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And we're not promised anything. But these kinds of stories are inspiring to us because they remind us that it is possible to take a bad situation in our life and turn it around. Others have done it. And we can too. But we need to remember that life is not a sprint. It's a marathon. And success comes to those who are willing to hang in there, especially when life gets discouraging. You know, I think probably one of the worst things that can happen to some people is that they have too many successes early in life. 
if that happens to us, we may be we may think that that all of life is going to be like that. Every everything we touch is going to turn to gold, and everything we do is going to be successful, and everything's going to come easy to us. But that's not the way life is, is it? You know, if you've been around long enough, you know that life is not like that. Life is hard. It's a marathon. And the great secret in life is not how we begin, but it's how we finish. There are a lot of people that are good starters. Maybe, maybe they have talent. Maybe we, we have enthusiasm. Maybe we start off with a burst of promise. But, but keeping that up is hard. And that's true of anything that's worthwhile in our lives. It's true in our commitment to Christ. It's true in our commitment to our our spouses, our marriage partners. It's true in our commitment to our chosen vocation. It's true of of a host of other endeavors in in our life. How are we at finishing what we start? Donald Acklin tells about a man several years ago who was stranded on a life raft off of the coast of South Carolina. For 55 hours, Robert Lewis Watson clung on to that life raft. But finally, he couldn't hold on any longer, and so he slipped off the raft and into the ocean where he drowned. But about one hour later, that raft was spotted by the the Coast Guard, and his partner, Greg Palmer, who was willing to hold on for a little bit longer, was saved by the Coast Guard. Watson gave up a little too soon. He lost his life. And a, and a lot of people make that same mistake. We, they give up before the final results are in. Hang in there. Hang in there. Stuart Briscoe gives a great example of the, the power of endurance. He says that, that, that when his kids were coming up, when they were young, he taught them to enjoy running. He liked to run when he was younger, and he taught his children to, to enjoy running. And, and then as they, he got older, as they got older, he says, they taught him how not to enjoy running. <laughs> you see, while, while he could keep a pace ahead of them, it was great, and he really felt good about it. But, but when they began to haul him out of bed at 6 o'clock in the morning, on a frosty morning, to go out there to run... He didn't like it so much. And when his daughter signed him up to run a 10,000-meter race, he started to ask, what in the world am I doing? And he was asking, and he asked that question even more when they got to the starting line of that 10K race. There were 24,998 other runners in this contest. And since it was in Milwaukee... Some of these people were dressed up like beer bottles. One guy was dressed up like a banana, and another guy was dressed up like a bunch of grapes. And so the gun went off, and everybody was laughing and waving, and the banana was shaking hands with everybody in the crowd. And and then it got rather interesting, because after about a quarter of a mile down the road, the banana and the beer bottle were hanging over a garden fence, not looking too well. And about a mile, after about a mile, there was no more chattering or laughing. After the second mile, the only sound was heavy breathing. 
And after the fourth mile, it was so quiet you could hear the birds singing. And at 6.2 miles, people were dribbling in one at a time. And not many of, of them at that. And the moral of the story, says Briscoe, is this. You get all kinds of people goofing off at the beginning, but that doesn't count. To finish counts. And disciples of Jesus Christ keep going on. When the enthusiasm fades and when the passion cools, when the numbers drop off, can you maintain your intensity? That's the mark of a champion. You see, finishing is what faith is all about. And I am so grateful for those of you who are here for the long haul. Some of you have been disciples of Jesus for all of your lives. And you've seen pastors come and go, and you've watched the the church grow with all of the excitement that goes with that. And sadly, you've watched it decline. And you've seen the good times and the bad times. And through it all, you've been here. Some of you have had your own personal stumbles through the years. You've gone through times of grief and disappointment in your lives. Perhaps somewhere along the way you've given in to sin and, and for a while you've doubted that God could possibly even forgive you or accept you after you've let God down. But still you've hung in there. Some of you have become disenchanted with the meaningless life that you've been living and you're beginning to realize that you want to draw closer to God. That's why you're hanging in there now. You're hoping to have a fresh experience of God's grace. And I believe that if you will endure for long enough, it'll happen. It'll happen. John Ortberg tells a story written many years ago called The Happy Hypocrite. I think I've told this, this story before. The main character in the story is, is a man named George Lord. And George basically lived a wasted life. He was, it was a life filled with greed and gambling and superficial relationships and broken promises to women, too much alcohol. And, and one day he was having a lavish meal with his lover when he spotted a beautiful young woman, and it was love at first sight. He desperately wanted to marry this girl, but she had vowed to only marry the man with the face of a saint. And George obviously did not have the face of a saint. Well, not long after that, George passed by a mask shop, a shop that made masks. And so he went inside and had the owner create a lifelike mask that he thought would allow him to look like a saint. And so he returned to the woman who had won his heart, and he asked for her hand in marriage, and she accepted, lo and behold. This marked the beginning of, of a moral conversion in George's life. You see, after he married this woman, he donated much of his money to the poor. He repaid everyone he had cheated. He treated kindly the people whom he had never even noticed before. In other, other words, he started to live the life of a saint. Well, sometime later, his old lover saw him and wanted to unmask him in front of his wife. She wanted to make him look bad. And so a struggle ensued and the mask was 
ripped from his face and tossed to the ground, and the old lover is laughing in triumph. And he turns to face his wife. But when he did, he was shocked by her reaction. She asked, Why did you have a mask created that looks exactly like your own face? It seems that while he sought to live the life of a saint, there was some unknown power at work in his life. And he had grown into his face. Maybe there's someone here who is hoping to grow into the face that you've been showing to the world. Well, let me tell you something. Faith is hanging in there. Faith is hanging in there when the day looks dark. Faith is hanging in there when the options seem to be limited. Because you know that somehow God is still at work in your life. And so you have decided that by the grace of God, you're in it for the long haul. You have placed your life in the hands of God, and you are saying, along with Simon Peter, Lord, to whom shall we turn? To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. That's what faith is all about. Life is a marathon. It's not how you start, it's how you finish. And faith has to do with both having a great race and also having an even greater finish. The writer of Revelation put God's promise to us about finishing the race like this. He said, Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. That's faith for the long haul. It is the faith of a marathoner. So don't give up. Don't give in when the life throws obstacles in your way. Don't give up. Leap over them. Run around them. Push through them. Keep running. Finish well. And keep the faith. That's the faith of a marathoner. Hang in there. God is with you every step. Amen. Let's sing our closing hymn, Guide My Feet. What a great song for the topic of the day. Guide my feet, O God. And that is our prayer, that God would guide our feet, whether we're running, where we're, whether we're walking, whether we're slogging through the difficulties of life. Guide our feet, O Lord.
We thank you, O God, that you are our God and Father. We thank you for including us in your family. We thank you that you have the words of eternal life and that we can look to you as our source for all that we need. We thank you for your promise that nothing in heaven or on earth is able to separate us from your love. And we praise you that you may rest, that we may rest securely in your arms and the promise of your grace through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen.